This is Animals Voice Podcast, presented by the Ontario SPCA with 50 communities working together for animal welfare. We've got another great show for you on the way, so put your paws up, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Please be aware that this episode of Animals Voice Podcast contains stories and content which may be graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. We're very proud to present part one of a three-part series as we interview former FBI agent and author John Douglas. Welcome to Animals Voice Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin McKenzie, and uh, a very, very special episode of Animals Voice right now. Uh, I've been hosting the show for just over a year, and I don't think I've ever been nervous. I don't think I've ever been intimidated, uh, but I'm sitting here with a, a very special guest. It's John Douglas, uh, author, former FBI special agent, uh, here to, to talk with us this week. How are you, John? Good. Uh, should I take the handcuffs off? You no. know? <laughs> is that why you're so intimidated? No, it's just your very presence being here. No, no. Uh, this is uh, fantastic uh, to have you here. Uh, a part of our, our yearly educational conference, you're here to speak to everybody, and um, You've agreed to spend a little time talking with us uh, on Animal's Voice, so thank you for that. I've got so many questions. I literally don't know where to begin. Uh, In reading your background and just having awareness of you, um, you've been involved in cases as an FBI agent that I followed as a child growing up, that I followed as an adult uh, when watching the news, uh, the Trailside murder in San Francisco, the Atlanta child murderers, uh, murderer, uh, the Seattle Green River killer, which is one I want to specifically ask you about. You did the first profile on the Unabomber? Oh yeah, I did the Unabomber uh, profile. The Tylenol profile, uh, uh. profile case, the, uh, the David Berkowitz, um, Oklahoma City bombing, I got involved with that. And then just other, a lot of cases people don't really know about, but interesting, interesting cases. I've done over 5,000 cases oh in my, God. In my uh, background yeah. so far. Your listeners should know I'm wearing a blue chiffon dress, smoking a cigar right now. I have to, like, like cleaner. They can't see me, but uh, in fact, I used to tell when I was doing these cases, I used to tell headquarters. I said, if you don't get me any help, I mean, they're going to find me. And and so for my 20th anniversary, uh, they gave me a gift, a real real sports. They gave me uh, not only one but two blue chiffon dresses that I, I hung in my office. Oh my and 60 God. Minutes came in and did an interview with me, and, and they said, what is that? And I said, well, you know, I, I tell them, I said, I'm, I'm going to have a breakdown if I don't get help here. And they gave me this as a gag gift, blue chiffon dresses. So it was Leslie Stahl, 60 Minutes. She said, oh, that's great. Look, can we have a picture of you with these, these dresses? And, you know, not wearing the dresses, but holding the dresses. And so the FBI was there on the side. No, 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 you can't take a picture of him with I those bet. dresses. Because you know, they're afraid of you know, J. Edgar Hoover. You know, he, he wore black chiffon, and I'm wearing blue chiffon. You know, <laughs> we kind of mixed. So you had worries about that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I've got I've got to try to wrangle my, my thoughts here. So I'm going to ask you to start at the start. How did you begin your career with the FBI? Uh, I, I didn't want to actually. I didn't know anything about the FBI. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be. That's, that's what's interesting. I wanted to be a veterinarian, and, uh, and then I got uh, I, w- I was drafted. I was in the military and. And I was working out in the gym uh, after I got out of the service. An FBI agent uh, came up to me and asked me uh, about the FBI. And um, within a month or so, I, here I was in 1970 going through a training. Uh, the FBI Academy wasn't really built then. It was, uh, it, they started building it. It was finished in about 1972. Uh, so off I went to, uh, my first office was Detroit. Yeah. And uh, that's where I really started getting into the, uh, into the profiling. I had a psychology background. I would later get advanced degrees. 
but uh, like I'll tell this group uh, today that uh, when I speak with them, uh, it was an arrest that I made on Super Bowl Sunday. We arrested 250 uh, gamblers, loan sharks, murderers in Detroit. It's a great place. Uh, you wouldn't want to live there, but we had over 800 murders that year when I was there. But it's a great place to, to learn, learn your stuff, but, sure. but it's horrible. It's a horrible place to live. Mm -hmm. So in, in this, my first book, uh, my, uh, Mine Hunter, I talk about this betting on raindrops. And what it was, was I had this guy in the back of the car. And uh, he was like my third arrest that day. Good looking guy. I looked like actor Paul Newman. And, uh, and I said, what are you doing this stuff, Frank, man? I mean, it seems like every year FBI is arresting you, the local police. And, 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 and he said, how old are you, kid? And I was 25. I was young. I was 25. And he says, man, you don't get it. I said, what do you, what, what do you mean? I, I don't get it. And I had him cuff. And he said, he looked on the side of the window in, in the car, in the back seat. It was raining that day. And he said, you see those two raindrops over here? I said, yeah. I'll bet you the one on the left gets down to the bottom of the pane of glass before the one on the right. And he said, okay, okay, I'll bet you. So we bet, not, not cash, but just for the fun of it, he wins. And he says, you get it? I mean, get what? You beat me in, in, a, in a raindrop race. What, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and he says, you know, man, he says, we don't need you know, gambling, horse racing, or anything like that. All we need are two raindrops. He says, we are who we are, and you're not going to stop us, man. He says, you're not going to stop us. So by taking that, huh. when, I, when I started to then get into the behavioral science, the psychology, and all that, I wonder if that is, applies to violent offenders. The violent, I wonder if they are who they are, and we can't stop them. And that's when it really began. That, that was when I first began to, to go into the prison, start doing some interviews, but then eventually FBI Academy ended up recruiting me at age 31. And I was the youngest out of 110 agents that teach every, every type of uh, you know, behavioral science, but mostly firearms and that kind of stuff, business. I was the youngest one. And then it was that point on. And I'll get more into it, uh, but I, where I began to, to go into the prisons and conduct uh, the research from an investigative perspective. No one ever had ever done that. And, and, and my thesis is, and some of the sayings I come up with, is to understand the artist, you must look at the artwork. Okay. And, and what I mean by that is, is that how could someone, you know, be like you, Kevin, how, how would you be able to interview me uh, had you not known about me or known about my, read a book or something, which you did do. But what I found is that there are people who are making decisions regarding probation and parole and corrections who would not look at the crime, would not look at how a victim, say, of a rape case was rape. And I, and I know because we developed five rape typologies based on verbal, sexual, and physical assault. How do you know who you're dealing with? And when you go to these, prof these professors, or you go to these psychologists, oh, no, 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 I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to look at it. It'll prejudice me against, against this patient of mine, this client. I, I don't want to know that. So I would get really angry, angry at them and, and, and say, so you mean to tell me you're making a decision based upon what? Self-reporting? Yeah. So you really believe that the person that you're talking to is going to be truthful. You really believe that, that he's going to be telling the truth, that he's not going to kind of cut, cut corners. Yeah, and, but, but if he's, if he's uh, lying, I can detect it. Oh, really? You, you can detect it? Well, I can't always detect it I, I, because there are some very, very good liars out there. And, uh, and, that, and that's kind of how it started. And then by teaching a class at the FBI Academy called Applied Criminal Psychology, they started bringing in cases well, during the course of that, of that class. 
And what began as about 45 cases, by the time I left the Bureau, uh, I was doing 1,000, doing 1,000 cases. And then this little program I developed grew to about a dozen profilers with a, then about 30 support personnel. But it was, uh, they were just rolling. We had, in fact, turned some away. We had certain criteria because there were just so many cases, cases coming from here, Canada. I'd done a bunch of cases here in, in Canada, you know, as well. And it was, it's, it, not only is it the nature of the work stressful, but it, it was the, the volume, the volume and the nature of it. You just, it was uh, hazardous to, to my health. Uh, so uh, tell me about the process within the FBI before you developed, I, I mean, this profiling, and the way that you talk about the psychology behind it, you said when you were 31 that you were doing this, this uh, psychology mm -hmm. course at the FBI Institute, right? right? Was that the, the genesis and the infancy of that, the FBI using criminal profiling? No, what it was, was, was a few guys were dabbling in it. They were, teaching, they were teaching this, and they were using psychological terms, and they weren't really, I thought the agents were qualified to, to use words like schizophrenic, catatonics, psychopaths, and whatever. They, they didn't really all have these psychology degrees. Plus, they were telling war stories. They were telling war stories of cases that were given to them by police officers and over the years. And then there's been several generations of investigators. So now I'm, I got to get this story. And what I began to observe in the classroom, as they were teaching applied criminology and then officers were presenting cases, is that oftentimes the instructor during the course presentation had his information wrong. Okay. And, he was, and lo and behold, here's a guy in the class, an officer in the class, who worked the case. It was his case. Okay. And they're saying something that's totally wrong about the case. And here's the instructor. I'm supposed to be mentoring this instructor. And, and the instructor is even challenging the investigator who worked the case. I said, holy hell. I, I said, I, I got to get up there? I said, I have to accelerate my learning, man. I got it. So in those days, we had what we called road schools. I would go out for two weeks. We'd go out like a team. And then you go out and you do, like, you do a, a Monday through Friday. Then, you, then Friday afternoon, about half... Uh, about 12 o'clock, you finish. Then you move on to your next your next week of instruction. But you, there's only so much you can do on the road, and you sit around. And you only drink so many margaritas or beers or whatever. Or you do, hey, hey, let's do something. Here we're in in L.A. Let's go, let's go, uh, San Quentin, man. Let's go interview Charles Manson. We talk about Ed Kemper, who killed seven co-eds and decapitated his mother and his neighbor, and six foot seven, 300 pounds. I mean, let's interview him. Let's see. Yeah, we got the credentials. They got to bring him Get out. Get inside their brain, yeah. crawl around let's, a bit. Let's do yeah. it. And, and at first, I wasn't very good at it. At first, wasn't wasn't good. Was was not not uh, prepared. Dressed uh, differently. Uh, just so you, your listeners can, can can know, they can't see me. I'm wearing like a white shirt with a three piece suit right now. I would never dress like this uh, going into a prison. Why? First of all, it'd be hazardous to my health because a lot of these prisons you go into, you're walking among the inmates and and they just smell FBI oh. and they would they would grab you in a second. And then when you go in, you sign a form. It's if you're taking as hostage, you're not negotiable. You're, you're, you're a non-negotiable, oh you know, item. So just kiss your, you know what, goodbye. Yes, yeah. You know, because we're not gonna, we're not gonna come uh, get you. So you want to look like, you know, some of the shrinks go in wearing hush puppies and corduroy pants, you know, okay. with a, you know, with a tie, maybe you know, like a bow tie, something like that, and, and just kind of blend in, you know, blend in with them. Plus, the other thing was. 
is when you go in, you have to have all the information available to you regarding the police reports uh, that, that were done, the investigation, the crime scene photographs, the autopsy photograph. Uh, you know, what, how did the subject uh, act when he was when he was arrested? Did he confess? Did he lie? Uh, what, what what has he been doing since he's been in prison? What, what kind of an evaluation has he had there? Then when you go in. You don't bring anything. Initially, you know, you're there, you write, you have your head down, you're writing notes and all this. No, you gotta maintain eye contact. You gotta, you gotta be, you know, just look at them, but not cause stress looking at them. And if, and if you're big, I'm six foot two, I'm interviewing Manson five feet two, I gotta slump down in my right. seat. I gotta let him get, take control of me. And so he sat up on oh, top of a credenza, you know, look, looking down at me as he's, as, and I knew all of his buzzwords when he was with the Manson family, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, cause all these guys will turn and say, yeah, you're crazy as hell. You you should be in here you know, alongside of me and myself. I mean, I mean, you're nuts. It's just that you, it's, you, you get you learn from this, and you know the case backwards, backwards and forwards. And I didn't do that. I didn't do that, uh, you know, originally okay. when I when I when I went in. So I got to a point where they liked me. They didn't want me to you know, you know to leave. I'd go to Baltimore prison, uh, you know, this really crude place where you do you walk in to this this prison built in the 18, 1880s. And the inmates are walking around. And, well, is he FBI? No, no. He looks like he probably he's probably he's probably a shrink or who's a lawyer. I think you're that's good too. If they think you're a defense attorney, you're a good guy because yeah, yeah. you're helping. You're, you're, you're helping these guys. <laughs> yeah, you're helping these guys. Yeah. So so they come they come around. So you know so I I get these killers. I I'd get these killers around in a circle, and I'd be there. And and uh, and I I studied most of the stuff. And, and sometimes I, I had to do it cold. But but I had a cop killer in there. You know, I had a child killer. And all kinds of stuff. But I wasn't the kind of killer I wanted to interview. I said, isn't there a, 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 a serial killer out there, a sexual killer? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want Charlie, you know, Charlie Davis, yeah, but he probably won't come in here to talk to you. Well, can you, next time I come in, see if you can get him in. So they went out in the yard uh, the next time I got, uh, I was there, and he got him. They got him, and, and they, uh, they brought him in. Big guy. He was another guy. I'm 6'2", but this guy, he was 6'5". His father was a, a, uh, was a cop. So we're sitting around, sitting around in a circle. It's, kind of, it's weird. And I said, Charlie, man, I said, I, I don't know. I, I said, I, I really don't. You got me at a disadvantage. I don't know your case. I didn't have a chance. I didn't know you were going to come in here. I said, what did, what, tell me what you did. So he tells me how he killed these five, these five uh, girls here. And um, you know, he was an EMT. So what he would do, he drove an ambulance. He would kill, uh, kill a girl and then dispose of the body in the area where he'll be, pick, he'll be picking up his own victim, picking up the victim. Oh. And then if he was stalking a girl, he sees a girl, pretty girl, he can get a license plate number because his dad was a police officer, and he run a license plate check. And with the license plate check, he sees the girl going into the restaurant, gets the number, and he says, uh, goes inside, can you page uh, Mary Smith and tell her that she left her lights on on her car out in the parking lot? So they call Mary Smith, uh, uh, please come up here. You left your lights on in the parking lot. So she, as she went out there, then this guy would grab, grab her and, and, and force her in, take away, kill her, and all, the whole work. So so one of the greatest things, and by the time I was finished, with all these guys, they're like this, just sitting around. I said, this guy, why don't we tell you about this guy? Because I said, now look, I said, you did something with this last victim. I said, I, I, I said you did something with this last one. You, you covered her. You covered her head in a car, and uh, uh, you left her in the car. Uh, there's something about that case you, you didn't you didn't like you 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 took something from her you took something from that victim did, and I don't say did you take something from the victim I say you took something from that victim I always you took something from the victim because he gets so good at it, you know okay and he gets red as a bead and I said what was it 
I said, well, after I, kill, I killed her, I had to kill her. I didn't want to kill her. I had to kill her. She knew what I looked like. She knew uh, I, I didn't have a disguise or anything like that. So after I, I strangled her, I went through her purse, and I saw there was a picture. Because she was telling me, John, she was telling me that her husband was really sick, and he's not doing well. He may die. And she, the victim may have been using that, you know, trying to hopefully, hopefully yeah. to get out of this situation. So here we have this, we have this, uh, 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 he, says, he looks in there and he sees a picture of the husband and her and her child and the dog at a Christmas, at a Christmas time in front of a tree. And, he, and, he, and he, I got him back. He's looking, he's like tripping out. He's looking, he's thinking of that. And I said, you took that photograph, didn't you? And he, look, he's not, he looks, yeah. I said, you went to the gravesite too, didn't you, of that victim? Yeah, 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 I did. And and what did you do with that picture? He says I buried it there. I buried it under a few inches of dirt there. And and, and he was just silent and red. And all the other guys, you know, it's like the great Houdini or something, looking at me. What do we tell you about this guy? This guy, he he knows his stuff. And it, it was just, it's just. Kevin, it's just you see so many. And so then I, I just, you know, there's a lot of intu intuition to it, but it's just when you see so many cases, mm -hmm. and then you have to be honest, because sometimes you just don't, you don't. It, if you do it, a profile's not going to do it because it may fit too many people. Okay. So you have to, you may have to say, hey, look, if you come up with a guy, maybe I can uh, help you with an interview suggestion, or maybe I can come up with some proactive technique to flush out the, whatever kind of case case you got there. But it's, it, it's you can't do it every time. That concludes part one of our special three-part interview with former FBI agent and author John Douglas. We look forward to presenting part two, which you should be on the lookout for soon.